Coming up on the show, we review the latest from Steven Spielberg with Ready Player One. We also mull over our favourite April Fool's Day jokes. And finally, I deep dive on the big sick. In a cloud where there are already too many film podcasts, you have to ask yourself, what's the harm in one more? Two ordinary men armed with unqualified opinions. Talk filmy to me. Hello, welcome to the Talk Filmy to Me podcast, the film podcast about the latest in news, entertainment and general pop culture. My name is Adam Flint. You can find us on Twitter at Talk Filmy to Me. Joining me on the pod today is my main man, my OG, the guy who's been on the other podcast as well. So you probably should know him by now where I don't need to give him a 30 second intro. John, how you doing, pal? I never wasted seconds when you're introducing your OG host. Uh, I'm good. I'm overlooking a lake in the Cotswolds with some swans. Uh, it's pretty amazing basically on holiday but still got time for you my man it still it feels like the the scene house from what was that um stephen king film about him being locked up and broken legs and you know when you're at a place and it's kind of it's it's so nice and picturesque that you think you could be at the start of a horror movie yeah yeah (laughs) misery you can never fully enjoy it can you you're like this is too good i'm gonna i'm gonna get killed but the the good side, I don't know if this is a good thing, but like 75% of our days are overcast, so at least there's only 25% chance the weather's going to be half decent. <laughs> and we're some... back to weather corner. <laughs> um, speaking about news and, and things in between of that, um, doing a bit of data analysis on the podcast because you know it keeps growing, and thank you so much to people that follow and subscribe and, and get in touch with the show. It's absolutely fantastic. And by the way, thank you to the gentleman who emailed me about enjoying the improv from the animation not animation we should do an animation special annihilation special um we love it but also we found out that there's a really strong dutch contingent listening to our our podcast at the moment so um in honor of our our cousins across the across the lake and across the across the river i just wanted to to give a little message bedankt for het luisteren jullie zijn geweldig um, I, I assume, as long as Google Translate says that's all right, is that thanks for listening. You guys are awesome. John, do you know much Dutch? I know no Dutch. You could have insulted me directly there and I wouldn't have a clue. <laughs> right, well, let's... It sounded beautiful. Well, should we pop our clogs and get on with news? News. <laughs> nice. Cool. So, uh, Jimmy Del Toro, the man who we keep pronouncing his name wrong on every podcast. Um, I wonder how many times we can get it wrong. Um, he's he's a man of the moment. He's a man, obviously, of uh, great wanting at the moment. He's the guy in demand. He has been signed up by Fox Searchlight, the guys who he made The Shape of Water with, to basically produce, direct, write, and do whatever the hell he wants for the next five years. That's insane. But then again if you think how good The Shape of Water has been critically and commercially, and I think he done it at quite a small budget if you th- uh, compared to a lot of his competitors, that's that's great news. We're going to see more Del Toro madness uh, hitting mainstream cinema. Yeah, that's amazing. You Once you get an Oscar, that many awards and nominations for a film, I think that gives you a bit of breathing room for five years, doesn't it? I'm uh, looking forward to seeing what he's... Now he can do whatever he likes. I mean, imagine what kind of wacky stuff... It's going to be in his next film. I'd love to see him take on animation, like proper Pixar-esque. Like I know Coco is kind of already sort of taken the, the Mexican Death Festival theme. And I know he had his own Mexican Death uh, Festival movie as well. But I'd love to see him do like a Tim Burton-esque stopgap animation film. I think he's, his world would be incredible for that. Yeah, you don't really see enough genuinely adult 
uh, animated films these days. I think he'd be perfect. Nah, cool. So speaking of Fox, um, a lot's going on at the moment. Obviously, with the Disney merger, and we don't really know what's going on with their properties. Uh, the Deadpool 2 trailer kind of joked about that a little bit last week. But um, do you remember a while back, we reported on the new X-Men movie in the current X-Men franchise of uh, being yeah. called Dark Phoenix? Um, that movie was due to come out uh, towards fall of this year. It didn't have an exact date, but we were, we were told around October. They've decided to push that back way into the depths of 2019. Um, because they're doing comprehensive reshoots after a test screening. I mean, we kind of commented on this of if you're making a film within a month from start to finish, chances are, I mean, don't get me wrong, some great masterpieces have been made quickly, but when we're talking about those big popcorn bo- uh, blockbuster films, they, they need time, they need the right people to be on it. If you're doing it rushed very quickly, it's probably going to be a piece of shit. So um, this is quite interesting that they've decided to push back on that, but hopefully we get a decent film. And in the vein of the X-Men universe, there was another film they were making called The New Mutants. The idea of it was taking their X-Men formula and applying it to the horror franchise. They released a trailer for it. We reported back on a couple of months back on that as well. Macy Williams from Game of Thrones is cast as one of the leads in it. And they've decided to push that back again. So this film was already pushed back by 10 months. They've already filmed it, by the way. And they've now decided to push it back a further 12 months. So we're not getting this until December 2019. Um, that does not bode well for that project. Yeah, I mean, take your time, lads. Make sure you make a good movie so we don't have to call it out on this podcast and you'll feel really bad when our hundreds of listeners hear that. Very true. Speaking of ex-Game of Thrones characters, oh, God, I love syncing stuff up like this. Um, Pedro Pascal, um, you may remember him from Narcos, the Netflix original, which is absolutely fantastic. He also was absolutely charismatically uh, scene-stealing in Game of Thrones. He was playing a character called... Obril Martel, um, I can't pronounce that very well, as you know, my pronunciations are quite shite, but um, he basically was the dude who got absolutely obliterated by the mountain. Do you remember that, John, where he squeezed his head like a melon? That's one of the most memorable deaths in Game of Thrones, and there's been a lot, isn't it? It's yeah. one of the ones that made you consider, uh, is this too too much for me? But luckily, there's only one of them in the series, so you kind of keep going, didn't you? Yeah, I absolutely. I mean, he was so charismatic and charming. Every time he was on the on screen, you were you were drawn to him. And I just loved that scene where he's taking on the the mountain, going, "You killed my mother, raped her sister, and killed her children, or murdered her children." Oh man, he was he was fantastic, and he's he is great in Narcos as well. And um, yeah, he's 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 taking that next step now into big film, and he's been cast in Wonder Woman. People are, are hypothesizing on the character he could play. And a lot of people are saying, oh, he's gonna be, he's gonna be a uh, uh, Randall Savage or, or whatever his name is." And um, it's like, dude, you've picked literally the uh, the first Middle Eastern character you can find and stuck his face on it. I think that can be a bit more creative than that. And hopefully, he's not typecasted. It'll be funny if I announced that as news a couple of weeks later. But um, yeah, man, I, I really can't wait to see him on the big screen. He's so charismatic. He pulls he pulls the eyes in. And um, so uh, as I keep doing this, connect the dots almost with the news. Um, Netflix. Um, are looking to buy a company called Eurocorp, which is a film production company 
owned by Luc Besson. Um, he's a French gentleman. He has bought us films like The Fifth Element, Lucy, and uh, Valerian, The City of a Thousand Planets, which we reviewed on our podcast uh, back in August, I think, of last year. And he's obviously a very talented filmmaker. He's made films which we have idolised and adored over the years. So the idea that his production company's being eyed up by Netflix for original content, I think that bodes well for the future. What's your take on that, John? I just think Europa Corp sounds like a pretty evil entity. <laughs> um, but now that Netflix owns it, I'm sure it's all warm and fuzzy and lovely. And if if Netflix get better uh, original film content, then that's good for us, right? Because we we do run out of streaming gems sometimes on the old Netflix. Yeah, well, we don't run out. I mean, they're producing the 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 quantity. Fine, it's the quality we've we've got the issues with. And I agree with you. Eurocorp kind of sounds like a like a I don't know. What's the bad? You know, the evil company in RoboCop. What are they called? I'll call something similar. Euro. <laughs> Eurocop. Um, I don't know. But anyway, hopefully we'll get some good content from that. Um, and to wrap off the news, so um, Jurassic World revitalised the franchise. Colin Trevorrow was handpicked by Steven Spielberg to, to lead the new wave of these Jurassic World slash Jurassic Park movies to come out. Um, and it was a smash hit. Um, you know, I think it was one of the highest ranking films of all time. It absolutely annihilated all records set before by the Avengers. And... Um, you know, it was a great success. Uh, the trailer for Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom came out a couple of weeks ago. And, um, you know, we, we mentioned that in the news and, and our take on that. And it was so successful. They've announced, uh, well, when I say so successful, from initial screenings, they've decided, yes, they're going to plough on ahead with a, a third movie and complete that trilogy. Now, Colin Trevorrow famously was not part of uh, Fallen Kingdom because he, he was handpicked by Disney to go lead the um, the next line of the Star Wars movies. <laughs> the Star Wars, that makes me laugh. Um, the next line of Star Wars movies with episode nine. Now, for whatever reason, uh, he was fired from that project. So um, Universal have come back and said, right, do you want to helm Jurassic World 3? And they've announced it last week. Uh, Colin Trevorrow's back for Jurassic World 3. He has actually helped out a lot with the post-production of Jurassic World 2. So we're going to see his consistent vision throughout. I'm looking forward to this. I, I can't I can't wait to see more Jurassic World stuff. The first film was so great. But there is a concern if it's just a bit of nostalgia bullets in your face and that's why we like it so much. But I, I can't wait. John, what's your take? We all know how good the third iteration of a Jurassic park franchises don't we uh obviously Jurassic park <laughs> 3 was absolutely amazing and it was all our favorite ones so what could possibly go wrong with this one hopefully they're not just milking it and um it takes us some new places but you know i, I just love seeing dinosaurs in movies I, I you know quite quite a low bar if there's a dinosaur i'll i'll watch it so okay yeah let's Jurassic, go for it I'm looking forward to it Jurassic. Jurassic Park or Jurassic World aside, best movie of dinosaurs in Jurassic Park one. The, the first, no, no, I said you can't. You, we can't. We can't say Jurassic Park films. Oh, oh, oh. do you know what I did there? I didn't listen to uh, your question properly. Um, <laughs> favorite movie with dinosaurs in? Yeah, but you can't. A, la a land before time. <laughs> Yeah, that is a classic one. Ironically, that was actually made by Steven Spielberg as well. Well, it's got his fingerprints all over it. We're going to talk a bit more about him later, aren't we? Yep, in our review of Ready Player One, uh, which is coming up next, actually. There's nowhere left to go. Nowhere. 
except the Oasis. A whole virtual universe. So, Ready Player One is a film based on a book, actually, written by Ernest Klein. But um, this project was picked up about four years ago. Steven Spielberg's production company, Amblin, were going around picking up screenplay adaptations of various books uh, that were doing the rounds and doing really well in, in Amazon Book Reading Club. So, um, he picked up this. He also picked up a film called Robopocalypse, which uh, I've mentioned in previous podcasts. I can't wait for him to actually... Um, do his adaptation for but he drops that in favor of of ready player one the the theme of this film is that it's set in the near future where most people probably live in some state of poverty and the only escapism they all have is to join this virtual reality world where they can inhabit an avatar and go do whatever they like and it's a mixture of of virtual reality with games with social networking it's got its own economy it's got its whole world this is seen as the the way to live this is the way you conduct yourself and communicate and socialize with people it follows a protagonist called trey sheridan oh sorry played by trey sheridan should i say called and his character is called wade his avatar is called Perzeval during the film and um, this film is uh, absolutely stellar in terms of the look and feel, the graphics and everything else. But before I dive in on that, I just want to basically set up the premise a, a little bit more in terms of the whole world of the virtual reality that they all go into. So it's called The Oasis. And uh, the concept, as I said before, is you can kind of go do anything, be anything. Now, the reason why the film is set at um, this particular moment is because the creator of the game um, has passed away uh, about five years before and he has left in the game some clues almost like a Willy Wonka style treasure hunt where if you find these clues and solve the, the puzzles or the problems or complete the levels however you want to look at it and um, you will inherit the Oasis the VR game to be yours to control and own and operate and you receive the, the profits from this game it's the biggest entity in the world now there's other companies that are set up to to try and economize inside this game so it's like the it's like the willy wonka ticket for you to everyone to go out and grab is that fair john is that is that what you think the takeaway from this is as well yeah i definitely had a, the uh, kind of willy wonka about it um it's i mean it sets up the premise pretty quickly so you it really sucks you in you want to know what's going to happen how it's going to play out it's not completely entirely predictable. I mean, the basics is it's, it's Spielberg predictable, right? So you know you're there's not going to take you on too many twists and turns, but you're going to enjoy the ride, as it were. Yeah. Um, I mean, this is chocked full of pop culture references mm. from the 80s to present day, retro gaming, tons of, loads of old films. One of the most amazing things is Spielberg he could just reference himself for the whole film and you would you wouldn't even notice because he's so important um you know culturally but he he doesn't really do that once he he almost tips his hat to all his friends from the 80s uh like robert zemeckis in particular and so many games and it's kind of quite a humble approach by spielberg mm. do you agree no, 100%. And um, in the book originally, so just to take a step back, the reason why there's so much cultural references to, to our time in this film, you think, wait a minute, it's set in the future. Why is there so much of stuff from the 80s and 90s and early 2000s? It's because the, the creator of the game 
um, who passed away and left the keys to the kingdom for you to go find. He was a massive geek in in those times. So he he bled in so much of that culture into his own video game. Now, Steven Spielberg, as you mentioned quite rightfully, John, he basically has created most of our pop culture, right? You cannot think of um, a a form of entertainment that Steven Spielberg has not had a heavy influence in. So um, in the book, he is chock full of references from his films and the things that his films went on to inspire and the actors who were in those films who went and gone down careers, which then inspired into other franchises, into other avenues of of pop culture and music and entertainment. And um, he he changed them very subtly in his screenplay adaptation, as you mentioned, to be more reflective of the the pioneers that he worked with. So um, like I say, it's very heavily Robert Zemeckis loving, which I I love. He's my favourite director, to be honest. So um, anything with more Back to the Future references in, I'm all for. But um, So that's why there's so much cultural references. And that's where the fun is in this film. That's where the charm is. That is where the... you And it's it's it, this could be a train wreck, but Steven Spielberg proves that he is still the master. I've questioned the quality of Steven Spielberg's output for the last 10 years, um, especially when he's executive produced those shitty Transformer movies. You can't walk away from that, Stephen. I am not letting you forget that. Um, so, yeah, the fact that he has managed to come back and pull out his big Steven Spielberg, let's just say he, he pulled out his big Steven Spielberg dick and said, I am the man, and he, he proved it here, man. He really did deliver. And um, One of the things which I always uh, credit Steven Spielberg for, especially in his earlier work, is that he is phenomenal with his camera work. If you think about in Jaws, the way he does those first zoom shots in on that beach, or the the times when he would position the the um, reflecting window inside cars to show kids in the back while they're talking and stuff like that, the the way he positions sound in in Close Encounters of the Third Kind, he is a master. He has bled the way for modern film telling. And um, he has done it again. He has brought us a new level of storytelling by utilising computer animation with actual characters. And he has the freedom to position that camera wherever the hell he likes. And like I said, you know, when he is firing on all cylinders, when he is actually in the details, when he's holding the camera, when he is telling the story the way he sees it, there's no one better. And um, yeah, I'm I'm back in I'm back in the I love Spielberg camp a hundred percent. What was your take on like the the cinematography of this film? Oh, I loved it. It's I mean, there's so much. This film has been coming for a long time, like a proper virtual reality blockbuster, futuristic, right? And it kind of paints a bit of a bleak view of the future, but. No, I, I can't think of anyone else who could make this film look as good as it does as Spielberg and make you feel so good on the on the journey, you know? He just... I mean, so much of it, it kind of leads you on a very familiar Spielberg route. Um, it's, it's, it's kind of comforting in that way. You, you feel very wrapped up in Spielberg's safe little blanket, but it's just so enjoyable. And he, it really... He's shown no signs of slowing down. I, like considering how old he is and how modern a movie this is, I just think I'm yeah, really, really impressed. I think he absolutely nailed it. And obviously, he has not lost his touch at all. And you know, it'll be a very sad day when we we lose Spielberg. But we're going to have quite a body of work to uh, look back on, right? Yeah, 100%. What I love about his, uh, especially his earlier works, right? So anything up to like 2002 is absolutely golden. Um, 
he's worked the way he has kids in films and we've talked about this off mic quite a lot the way he utilizes children in films is always very charming never degrading to the kids but also at the same time makes them protagonists and the and just the way he uses them is always fantastic if i had to compare this to the sort of emotions you got um i'd compare this to hook the film with dustin hoffman as um captain hook and and robin williams as peter pan i think it's a classic movie it really is underrated actually it, it, it aged very very well but if you look at it from this premise okay a classic story that our parents have grown up with we've grown up with it but our parents have grown up with it as well and um, modernized and retold but paying tributes to the original tropes of the story that is what hook is all about it's about peter pan as an adult exploring his childhood and everything else now, Ready Player One kind of is that as well, right? We grew up with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Batman, uh, Back to the Future, Jurassic Park, um, everything else you can think about of Saturday morning cartoon shows. And he has taken that and kind of twisted it, slightly readapted it for a new storyline about a person utilising this and discovering it and rediscovering it and passing it on to a new generation. And I really hope there's kids that watch this film and go, oh, man. I'm going to go watch those 80s cartoons or I'm going to go play that old video game. And I'd, he's just masterful in this. Um, let's talk about the cast a little bit. So as I mentioned before, we got Ty Sheridan, who I think he's like the modern day Michael J. Fox. Seriously, he, his delivery is was impeccable in the film. Uh, very likeable, very Spielberg-esque dialogue. But um, yeah, there was something really, really, I don't know, just inoffensive about him. <laughs> yeah, it had completely he was a spielberg character wasn't he all over matt um let's talk about uh, olivia cook's character so she played artemis or samantha in the real world and um, i've got a bit of a bugbear of this and john you've you talked about um, this one with me as well is that her character in real life suffers from a skin condition and uh, and like the whole thing is that oh i'm really ugly i feel ugly i keep it covered and everything else she's actually chuffing gorgeous and the actual mark on her face is not distracting in the slightest um this whole concept of let's take pretty girls and give them a condition which apparently makes them ugly it's kind of really annoying to be honest what's your take yeah on i laughed out loud when you first she was like all shy and had her hair over her eyes and then she moved it a bit and you saw this birthmark which wasn't it wouldn't put off any guy because she's like absolutely gorgeous and then it, it was like, he was like, oh, it's okay. It's, you know, I, I want to see like a giant mole that's taken 25% of her face with a huge hair coming out of it. You know, uh, then we'll test that kid and see if he's, he'll, he'll still be up for it. But um, <laughs> yeah, it, that, that did annoy me too. I have to, I have to agree with you, you there. It is not, you know, there's definitely, we got our bugbears about this film. One of uh, mine, I have to admit, was... Chris Finch from The Office. Um, very happy to see him in this film. That was a very a surprise. Uh, Rife Ineson, who's amazing in the UK version of The Office as Chris Finch, the worst character in <laughs> But um, he has a very dodgy American accent, uh, but I didn't care because I just enjoyed seeing him in a blockbuster, to be honest. It was quite amazing. Um, I mean, 
what was your favourite reference from it? Because there was there must have been fa- a thousand references, and yeah. something for everyone. Genuinely, something for everyone. Did you have a personal favourite? Yeah, it's, there's a scene where so the film is basically in three acts, right? There's the find the first key, find the second key, find the third key, and the winner from the key will inherit the oasis, as we mentioned before. In the first act, the first level, it's a it's a street race through a a crazy version of new york and um, i was reading an article about how this version of new york is taken many classic versions of new york from lots of films so the sky for a second goes green in the same way that in ghostbusters when the when zool arrives and the whole city goes taken over it goes to 19 sort of 50 swinging uh, new york from hong from king kong and I was, I was, that's 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 amazing that level of detail you don't even fucking notice it on the screen you're too busy watching the race but um there's a scene where all the cars, uh, it's, a, it's a car race, everyone gets in their avatar of their car and, and drives through. And everyone, you see just these classic movie and TV cars popping up. You see the 18 band screaming along. You see someone in uh, in um, in Kit, the Knight Rider car. Uh, but my favourite one, obviously I love the DeLorean, Back to the Future, incredible. But just out of nowhere, there's a scene where the 1969 black and red Adam West Batmobile crashes uh, in front of them while they're being chased by a T-Rex which was from Jurassic Park amazing but um, yeah that was probably my favourite reference just so so much of my pop culture crammed into a small scene what about you? I did find that just with that race to get the first key obviously there's like how do we do it we can't do it everyone's just going forward and then there's a secret he, he realises he's got to try something else something a bit different you know, almost like a cheat uh, you would get in a retro game. And it kind of annoyed me because I was like, how is that? Someone would have got that. I would. That's one of the first things I'd have tried. What he tries, and you'll know if you've watched the movie, you'll know what I'm talking about. He basically tries something. And then it's like, if you're looking for a cheat or a shortcut, that's the first thing you try. So I didn't really <laughs> buy that it had taken years for someone to try and get this first key. But um, I loved, there was almost a reference to speed, which I thought was kind of weird. You know where there, he loops the tape in speed so that the guy thinks that he's watching them and they're just going for a few miles an hour and blah, blah, and nothing's going on and he's looped to 60 second tape. They kind of do that, but in a virtual reality sense where they hijack the bad guy's feed and he thinks he's looking at someone pointing <laughs> the gun at him but he's not. And I, I don't know if that was intentional speed reference, but I just kind of liked that idea. Uh, I thought that was really cool. But there's, I mean, there's references every two seconds of this movie. There's probably some that aren't deliberate, probably some that are, and there's definitely ones that you're not going to get and definitely a lot that you're going to get, which is half the joy in this movie, right? It's like yeah. pop culture porn. It is. It is, a, it is, a, it is just a a machine gun of nostalgia in your face with grenades of, of things you love. Um, that scene in particular, uh, Ben Mendelsohn absolutely shines in that scene. He shines in the whole film, right? I mean, he is the classic corporate bad guy. He is portray- He's done it in so many other films, so you can potentially say he's a bit typecasty. I uh, loved him in Rogue One, by the way, but he's, he's brilliant in this. He manages to be that how Dustin Hoffman was in Hooked, how um, how just a, a horrible, maniacal bad guy who can really 
there's a lot of um, there's a lot of child actors in this, and Ben Mendelsohn just just interacts with them so well to not talk down to them. He treats them as threats and he hates them. And I just I, I loved his performance. Yeah, a genuine scary character to kids. I like that. What was the name of the company he worked for? Because do you remember? Oh God! Um, ah, you put me on the spot now. I'm gonna have to Google that. Uh, just while I'm googling that, what do you think of T.J. Miller? Um, he's from Silicon Valley, mm. uh, Big Hero Six. He was playing um, I Rock, uh, the dude with the massive chest, uh, the skull chest. Yeah, he he was hilarious. You need a comedy bad guy, right? You need a Smee. You need uh, a sidekick. And this guy was like witty as hell, had all the best bad guy lines. I thought he did a really good job. The company that they worked for gave me a bit of PTSD, though, because I used to work for Activision, who uh, who reminded me a lot of this uh, slave driving. <laughs> I probably shouldn't be saying this because I'll get sued any minute now. <laughs> and we're off. And they know where you are, John. You've already announced your location. Get out, John. Get out. Oh. Quick, now. <laughs> uh, this is where the horror movie begins. Uh, I will say as well, shout out, big shout out to the soundtrack in this movie because from the word go, they put Jump by Van Halen and you get this uh, kind of driving sequence and you just, every tune put a smile on my face. There wasn't one where I thought and just missed the mark. It was brilliant. It wasn't like the most obvious songs, but it was really big, awesome tunes that I think a lot of people are going to appreciate. So I, I thought that really um, good choice of music. They dropped the needle so much in this film. I appreciate it so much. I think um, one of the things which... Uh, I think the audience absolutely uh, love retro soundtracks. You think about Guardians of the Galaxy, that kind of feel it brought back and everything else. It was kind of like that was prepping us for this. This is just absolutely unapologetic classic 80s tunes as well as the occasional 90s but very much focused on the 80s back to the evil corp um from there they were called ioi and uh, that stood, stood for innovative online industries uh, and uh, nothing says innovation more than putting innovation in your title to try and convince people um yeah they, that was the whole dynamic which i found really interesting actually like you say it was almost like holding up a mirror to a potential it was almost like a black mirror episode really from that perspective in terms of the world is so invested in this game it's got its own currency now um, imagine like an online currency if you invested in that in the start how you would have done but um, the whole concept of the world running and the industry running by this one entity of the oasis and the other companies operate within that confines and and uh, ioi actually developed their own uh, their own team of people that go into the oasis to try and find that key because obviously they want to control it themselves so and uh, there's a funny scene where ben Mendelssohn's character is trying to propose oh if we get the key what we're we going to do well we've learned that we could take over 85 percent of the screen with display ads and it wouldn't cause any seizures i'm like for someone who works in digital publishing, that is the bleak future I'm trying to avoid. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's a bit nerdy, but, yeah, I absolutely loved it. Shall we start wrapping this off then? So, actually, before we wrap it off, Simon Pegg, how good is he in this film? Simon Pegg does us all proud, doesn't he? I think he doesn't have too many scenes, but when he, he's on, he does he does such a good job. And he's made to be in a Spielberg film at some point. He's just... He, he totally knows all the references, and I'm... 
it was great to see him thought he did a oh, great job. Uh, I mean it's a big testament to how far this guy's gone in his career right I mean the guy who was on Space is now sitting there next to Steven Spielberg being a key influencer in his movies whilst they're also hanging around with Tom Cruise on Mission Impossible oh and by the way he's got a mega successful cr- uh, creative relationship with Nick Frost and uh, and Edgar Wright and um, it's just a testament to how far the guy's come. I'm so happy he's in this film. I'm so happy he has a crucial part. I'm so happy to he's actually the last character you see on screen when it goes, because, and he's crucial to it. So, yeah, he is so good. Right, let's let's uh, tie this one off. I, I'm going four out of five, um, but it's a really good four. It's definitely one of the contenders for film of the year for me. What do you think? Yeah, I've got to go with a four. I think... Um... Just going back to, I teach a lot of kids in my week and I feel like this film is for some of the kids that don't quite get on socially with other people maybe and it's um, like Halliday, the character, the, one of the main characters who created this universe, he's not very good with women or interacting with other people and I just felt like from seeing a young kid who might not, who might feel like that, them seeing this film is would be absolutely mind-blowing and amazing to kind of see that um but for me i mean it's a, it's a four for me because it didn't it's a brilliant but it didn't quite make me feel it didn't move me enough to be a five but i think a, a strong four very pleased with it no 100 percent agree so there you have it the old gunslinger Steven Spielberg is definitely not slowing up and I eat my words from the last podcast it's an absolute hit go see it please buy this on Blu-ray watch all the references and get in touch with us tell us what you loved about this film what was the bits that you all of a sudden got taken back to that that 90s kid sitting in front of the TV would love to hear them get in contact with us at Talk Filmy to me who is this Porzable and how the hell is he winning find him this isn't just a game. I'm talking about actual life and death stuff. The Oasis. The world's most important economic resource. It's nothing less than a war. We're in control of the future. Streaming gems. All right. This week, we're bringing you a streaming gem that we actually liked, which is amazing news for us and you. It's just been added to Amazon Prime, not Netflix. So we're doing Amazon this week. Um, it got nominated for an oscar this year which is amazing for a comedy it is the big sick so flinty first thoughts two hour long comedy how did you find it well first of all i'm a massive fan of camille nangini and basically the story this is this is a bias like a, a mini biopic film about how he met his wife um apparently very true very true followed uh the same beats and definitely um was was actually the events that occurred. Um, I absolutely loved him in Silicon Valley. I think he's absolutely hilarious. Um, I started seeing some of his stuff being shared on Facebook from his stand-up, and I, I didn't realise how funny this guy actually is. Um, but anyway, the, the premise of this film is uh, he's a struggling comedian, and he, he meets uh, this girl called Emily, and uh, they hit it off really, really quickly. Um, but unfortunately, about six months into their relationship she comes down with a a serious illness which requires her to be put into a medically induced coma um, both Camille and Emily um, have not met each other's parents yet and um, Emily's parents have obviously have come over to stay with her and he has to he has to 
get to know them and they get to know each other why her why their daughter is is in a coma and um, there's also an added sort of cultural thing of Kamal although he's not a practicing Muslim or um, a big uh, big I suppose uh, practicum of his his culture from India and he's oh sorry, sorry have I got that right I, I I don't really want to screw this one up, so let's make sure I've got that right. Sorry, Pakistan. Um, good thing I checked that. Um, his parents are trying to force him into an arranged marriage, which he keeps delaying, putting off, and trying to keep them happy, making them think that he's praying, making them think that he's following the tropes that his family wants him to, but at the same time, he's living his life. He's being a stand-up comic. He's meeting girls and everything else. So um, there's an interesting dynamic there. Uh, it is quite a long film as you mentioned but i i loved it i really enjoyed it something charming about it yes really charming and just i mean a lot of people know the backstory between this 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 is based on his relationship with his now wife and it's really interesting to see how it played out uh you kind of get the feeling that it's not going to go south uh because it's a comedy and you think she's going to recover um spoiler alert but it's I mean it's a really charming journey really funny uh, more charming than funny I would say I mean it is a comedy it's got some really funny bits but it's it's more charming comedy um, would you agree rather than laugh out loud yeah, comedy would you agree with that there wasn't many moments that I slapped my fire and thought hilarious but there was a lot of relatable moments and there's one scene in particular where Emily is crashing around uh, Kamal's flat and um, she wakes up in the middle of the night uh, because nature's called and it's not number one and she dare not wants to to do it in his flat because she's afraid the walls are thin and there's no air freshener and uh, she's she's like freaking out because she's saying she wants to go home she confesses to Kamal that the reason why she's freaking out and he charmingly drives her back to her flat so she can go use her facilities and uh, I think we've all been there when we've kind of met someone new and we don't know what the the bathroom rules are from that perspective so uh, yeah there's loads of there's lots of charming moments right which puts a little smile on your face at some point you've probably related to the situation maybe not the arranged marriage part but definitely the uh, the general twos and throws of discovering someone new learning about each other there's some scenes that i absolutely adore where he's introducing her to his favorite films because kamal's an absolute nerd he's there's loads of classic zombie movies he loves he loves um, vincent price movies and she's seeing them for the first time and actually i make a really good feature what films do you cherish to introduce to a potential partner but um yeah i there's so many charming scenes and the chemistry between them is absolutely fantastic um, so i want to know why he didn't get his actual wife to play Emily um, because Emily herself is actually uh, very much comfortable in front of the camera she is very much a personality I wouldn't go far as to say an actress but she's there's not a far stretch of the imagination to say that she couldn't play herself very well um, but I just want to give a shout out to the rest of the cast so Holly Hunter plays uh, Beth Emily's mum she, for me she's hilarious she's actually every scene she's in she steals it um, but also Raymond Romaro so you remember everyone loves Raymond he plays uh, Terry the dad which um, you know some really big names here um, which he's managed to pull into this um, I don't want to go yeah. necessarily into too much detail of this film because A it's been out for a while we kind of know what happens anyway but um, we wanted to give it an official talk filming to me review because A good comedy deserves recognition and B this is amazing Kamal this is Kamal's first proper big motion film and it's made him you know the the hottest uh, 
uh, I don't want to go far as to say uh, in uh, Pakistan talent, but it's definitely it's it's shone a light on his culture and his people, and he hasn't done it by conforming to a stereotype. He hasn't done it by by glamorising anything. He's just done it by telling his story, and I think that's that deserves recognition. And I'm pretty sure he's pretty much can go do whatever he wants now. Um, what do you say, John? Yeah, there's something really pure and honest about it. Like you said, he's just showing his story. uh, But in doing so, it really shines a light and opens up culturally a window into... Because, I mean, his family, for the first time, it kind of shows a Pakistani family and them sitting around the table and being funny with each other. And it's not all uptight and serious all the time. Um, So it, it kind of breaks a few of those stereotypes. It's nice to see that. Um, his brother's hilarious in it, who is one of our, I don't, can't remember his name, but he, he does a lot of English comedy as yeah, well. Yeah, Adil, um, uh, Adil Akhtir. Yeah, he's just got a funny face. Um, <laughs> but he's, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's such an affectionate, honest portrayal and it's impossible not to like. And it really grabs you because it does think you about it makes it you can't help but think about what if your partner got sick like that and so to know that it happened and they come out the other side is yeah amazing so i'm i'm i don't know where he's going to go next it feels like i don't know what he could possibly do <laughs> that would top this for him you know because it's quite it's he's put his honest kind of life story on there um, but I mean, as a single piece of work, I think it's brilliant and uh, definitely highly recommend. I'd have to give it a, a four out of five. Yeah, Charming I'd agree with that. Comedy, well worth a watch. If you've got Amazon Prime, definitely give it a watch. And I suppose, you know, let's, let's give credit where it's due. Amazon Studios took a bit of a gamble to invest in him to make this movie. This isn't an Amazon original story. This is an Amazon original studio production. So amazingly, um, you know, and... There is an argument to say the whole quantity over quality argument. You know, let's not forget they produced Manchester by the Sea. There's no coincidence that Manchester by the Sea cleared round in the Oscars last time round, and this has done it this time round. So let's just see what that production house keeps doing. There you go. Mm. Four out of five, the big sick. Connect the dots, connect the dots, connect the dots, connect the dots. You can't connect the dots that be forward. Hilarious. Connect the dots, connect the dots, connect the dots, connect the dots. Something like that playing in the background. Connect the Dots, the game that the internet is calling What the Hell Is This? It's a game that we've introduced a few weeks back on our podcast. The idea of this is that one of us will have a list of films from IMDb and we'll have the cast lists from those films, ordered from 1 to 10. And we'll start reading out the cast members from 10 upwards. If I can guess the film by before um, we get to number 1, I get the points in that position. So if I guess position number 8, I get 8 points. Three films, there's a special round at the end, and basically we've been doing it back and forth over the last few weeks. This is John's turn to, to hit me with it, and uh, let's let's crack on. So, John, go for it. Yeah, you've been killing me recently, but I'm, I'm still being kind with the films. You know, they're classics, so let's see how you do. Here we go. Go. Number one, Samuel L. Jackson. Uh, Avengers. Ariana Richards. Uh, Pulp Fiction. Joseph Mazzello. Uh, unbreakable. B B D Wong. Uh, I don't know. Next. Martin Ferrero. Oh, I'm 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 losing it. Next. Bob Peck. Uh, Die Hard with a Vengeance. Richard Attenborough. 
Oh, okay. Um, Jurassic Park. Yeah, you got it. Okay, you got it on six. Okay. Not bad, not bad. Okay. Um, sorry, so you got four points. There was four left. Four points, first one. Oh, you okay. got my hopes Here up we... there. I thought I didn't do too badly, but four points is, is a bit shit, really. <laughs> Here we go. Next one. Mike Tyson. Uh, uh, oh, God, what's it called? The Hangover. Oh, uh, do you know what? I should have started. He's the tenth one, so that was that's a giveaway, isn't it? There you go, ten points. Well done. Yes. Well done. So what am I, where am I at the moment? Get, I'm on fourteen. So you're on fourteen. All right, which okay. Which is not good for me, but I'm hoping you're not going to get many on this one. Here we go. Margot Mora. Uh oh 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 um Mora uh uh, uh Prometheus. Sam Anderson. Next. John Randall. Next. Bob Penny. Oh, I'm losing it. Next. George Kelly. No, next. Ha- Harold G. Herfam. Oh, no, I'm losing this one. M- Michael Connor Humphreys. Uh, the girl with Dragon Tattoo. Sally Field. Oh, I, I, oh this is a hard one. <laughs> Rebecca Williams. Oh, I don't even know who half of these people are. Tom Hanks. Oh, okay. Um, Forrest Gump. Yeah, it's Forrest it, Gump. It is Forrest Gump. Uh, it is Forrest Gump. I got it on I one. I mean, that was that was hard. It's funny though, Forrest Gump. There is genuinely, I mean, Tom Hanks is the big name. There are some. Maybe I. There should have been some Lieutenant Dane um, in there though. There's a few other famous names in that, but I mean. That's a tough one. So there you go. So yeah. 15. 15. So right. now the gamble. You have a chance. Gamble. 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 So, so I'm going to read out uh, the writer of one of these films. And if you get it right, you get a double your points from 15 to 30. Here we go to be, uh, be way out ahead of me. And basically I've lost. Here we go. So... Can you tell me the writers? What is it? Hangover, Jurassic Park, Forrest Gump. They are John Lucas and Scott Moore. Uh, uh, it's got to be Hangover because um, it was Winston Groom who wrote the novel for Forrest Gump and it was Michael Critchin who wrote Jurassic Park and I reckon they were both brought in for the film. So, yeah, Hangover. Yes, I thought you'd get the other two too easy. Yep, you're right. They're the writers, shamefully on them, to be honest, because you know what I feel about the Hangover. <laughs> One of the most overrated comedies in, uh, well, it, ever. But, you know, I don't want to get into that now. Well done, <laughs> Flinty. You've thrashed me again. You got 30 points. Uh, yes, um, I, I should point out, I, when I was like 16, I used to work in a blockbuster. And when we were bored, we basically played a version of this by picking up video cases and reading out the cast list so oh uh, now you're telling ah, me <laughs> i've suckered you in mate you've got to commit to this people are loving it so we've got to keep it going now <laughs> they love the jingle that's i think that's what they love uh, even though you slagged it off in the podcast i i i slag week. off with love so there you have it <laughs> flint got 30 this time connect the dots Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast if you've enjoyed listening to this as much as we've enjoyed making it please click on the subscribe like 
follow. Whatever button it is, that means you get more content from Talk Filming to me. I want to thank my co-host John, and next week we'll be reviewing Wes Anderson's Isle of Dogs. Till next time. We're down in the basement. We'll lock the cellar door and baby. Talk Filmy to me.